I invite you now to take a Bible and to open it to the book of Exodus, chapter 20. We are going through a, a series on the Ten Commandments, and we didn't start there. We started by preaching through uh, the story of the Exodus, and back in chapter 1, and just to sort of recap that story, that the children of Israel had fled to Egypt uh, to survive, that they, there was a famine that they needed to find sustenance from, and so they went to Egypt when they found that one of the sons of Israel had risen to power in Joseph uh, in Egypt, and that there was a safe place for them to come and to be cared for. But over time, as they grew as a nation in that foreign place, the leader there, the Pharaoh, looked at them as a threat. Uh, continue to look at them as foreigners and as they were growing he became worried about what they would do if they grew too big or too powerful and so he forced them into harsh slavery and it wasn't until many many years later uh, that as they cried out and groaned at the injustices that they were regularly experiencing that God sent an appointed person in Moses to announce the freedom and the liberty for those who were captive that he wanted his people to be set free and to be able to come into a, a new place and become a new nation. And so God rescued them by his grace. He didn't come to them and say, here are these 10 commandments, and if you obey all of these 10 commandments, then maybe I'll consider saving you. But he came and he rescued them and he saved them. And as they're now traveling to the promised land, he gave them his law as a guide for them for how to live in the freedom that they experience. Because God gives us the capacity in our will uh, to make choices. And all of us can take the freedoms that we enjoy and make choices that cause us to lose our freedom. And so God in his love for us in setting us free also wants to guide us so that we continue to be free. That we continue to enjoy every good thing that he's given us. And not that we ever use our freedom as a reason to voluntarily go back into slavery. When we say it out loud, we'd think nobody would do that, would they? But we do, we do it all the time. And so we'll read from the beginning of chapter 20 uh, because it reminds us of that story and then uh, we're on the seventh commandment today which is in verse 14. So here's Exodus chapter 20 verses one through 14. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children of the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder 
and you shall not commit adultery. And that's where we'll conclude our reading for today. So we are in this seventh commandment. If you have a Bible with you, I encourage you to keep it uh, open um, because we'll go to different parts of the Bible to see uh, how the, the whole of Scripture reinforces this message. And so the seventh commandment is do not commit adultery. We actually have this commandment put in the positive form in the New Testament in the book of Hebrews. So if you turn to the book of Hebrews, you'll uh, hear this commandment stated in a positive way. And it shows clearly that this is a commandment for all of us. This is Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 4. If you're using one of the Bibles provided there in the pew, this is page 949. It says, Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. So positively, let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled. So both in the seventh commandment in Exodus and here in Hebrews chapter 13, though the, it's specifically about marriage, it's not addressing only married people. This is for everybody to know and understand because the message of God's plans and purposes in marriage are to be affirmed by all the children of God, whether they are married or single. Uh, that this is something that if we believe that this is God's plan and purpose and his design and how he has made us, then it's something that whatever our personal experience of it might be, we have a collective responsibility to affirm it, to say this is who God is, this is what he has said is wise for us, and it's actually the responsibility of all of us to reinforce that, to honor that, to hold that in high regard. And there are a couple of times in Scripture where the people lose sight of that, and they do not honor marriage as a good and beautiful thing, or they start to think, you know, uh, maybe that was good one day, but I'm not sure that's really good in our own day, and so God had to send people to remind them, no, 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 this is still a good thing. The original marriage we have in Genesis chapter 2 between Adam and Eve, uh, where we get the, the covenant that God made them male and female, and through marriage and in promising themselves to one another, he makes a male and female one flesh in the unique bond of marriage. We can all look back and say, yeah, but that was paradise. Like that was still before there wasn't any sin in the world, so the idea of lifelong faithfulness in a world of sinfulness seems impossible that we understand that God uh, made the world a certain way and he designed and instituted a marriage in a certain way but what does that look like in our world when we're not in Eden anymore and there's a couple of times in the Bible where God has to send a specific message so if you go to the Old Testament go to Jeremiah 29 and we'll see where God has to give a specific message to the people in Jeremiah 29 and this is now uh, many, many generations later in the children of Israel where they are no longer free. They've actually, through their bad choices, they have re-experienced slavery. And so many people had been now taken captive to Babylon. And so they're not free to do all the things they want and wish to do. And for some of them, you could imagine now, again, in that experience of slavery, 
where many of them were saying, hey, that might have been God's plan in the beginning, but that doesn't sound wise right now. And like you might hear some people who are really fearful of the condition of the world would say, you know, I'm not sure we should bring children into this world. The world is so messed up. And you can understand that a bit unless you read history and then say it's always been messed up. There's, there's never actually been a, a great or ideal time to bring children into the world. But that would have been one of the temptations here in Jeremiah. So beginning in verse 4 of Jeremiah 29, it says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord God of hosts, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you. Don't listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. And the message continues, and you can read it further on your own. But it eventually gets to the point of verse 11 where he says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord plans for your welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. And so here is the message to the exiles that some people have come and in the name of God saying, hey, stop getting married, stop having kids, stop growing. If you do that, you're just sort of exposing yourself to more harm and more risk in this exile in Babylon. So don't even contribute. Sort of in protest to that, just give up on the promise of family, on the promise of future generations. And so Jeremiah has to send this message to say, no, 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 God is not saying that message. Build houses, plant vineyards, get married, encourage your children to do so. Do not decrease, continue to multiply and be fruitful. It's the language of Genesis 1 that he made us in his image and he told us to be fruitful and multiply. And here... This is a very different reality. This is not the Garden of Eden. And God is saying, that's still my plan. That's still my purpose. The same thing happens in the New Testament. If you go to 1 Timothy chapter 4, you'll see that some people creep into the church and Paul has to correct them because they start teaching against marriage. Um, this is page 933. Uh, I'm trying to give a ton of homework for the Sunday night group because somebody told me they were going to have a discussion around the sermon. So um, page 933, 1 Timothy 4. This is Paul writing to his young mentor in the faith named Timothy. Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything God created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is to be received with thanksgiving. For it is made holy by the word of God in prayer. So it's pretty powerful language for Paul to say, like the teaching of demons has crept into the church. And if you were just to then pause and say, well, what would I imagine that might be? 
I'm not sure that on our list would come, well, I think somebody went in and started saying, hey, guys, you shouldn't be getting married anymore, and you shouldn't be having children anymore. We might have made a different list under the heading teaching of demons. But Paul is using this strong language to, again, say, if God has made something and given it as a gift for us, anybody that then comes in and tries to change it or change the way we think about it from being uh, not a gift but a curse is teaching the teaching of demons. It does not reflect God's will. So whether it was originally in the garden with Adam and Eve, whether it was in the Babylonian exile, whether it was in the New Testament church, the message of God on why and how he created us as male and female and gave us the gift of marriage is the same in all of those contexts. And so from the seventh commandment, we learn things about marriage and love. And so this commandment is reinforced all throughout scripture. And what we learn in the seventh commandment on marriage and love is that both of those realities are gifts from God. That he made us relational. And he made us so that in relationship with one another as male and female, we would uniquely reflect his divine image. And so it is a sacred thing, just like in last week and the commandment about not murdering reinforces for us the sacredness of human life, that it is precious and it is a gift. In this commandment, the uh, forbidding of adultery is reinforcing the goodness of what God originally designed. It's not forbidding marriage. It's not forbidding sex. These are gifts that God has given. And they have implications then for how he wants us to use them and to experience them. But underneath that is this affirmation that he has made us not just spirits, but we have bodies. And when we talk about loving something, it includes more than just our mind. I mean, when he summarized the law and talked about loving God, he said, for all of us that we're supposed to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so love is something that is expressed not just uh, intellectually or with words, it's expressed physically and relationally, and those are good and beautiful things. And it is the responsibility for the whole body of Christ to honor that, to celebrate that. And so if you read the book of Proverbs or the Song of Solomon, you'll see that Scripture unabashedly celebrates the goodness of marriage and love. And some people who haven't grown up in scripture uh, or surrounded by it might have an original impression, just kind of like Mark shared about his impression of the Puritans where, oh, I'm pretty sure everything the Bible has to say about it is that it's negative and it's dangerous and you should have nothing to do with it and it's bad. And, uh, and they become surprised to see, no, uh, God is uh, very much in his word from the Old to the New Testament celebrates marriage and love, celebrates our human bodies as he's made them and celebrates the ways that they are meant to go together and that there's no shame in God's part in how he designed us. It was his idea in the first place. And so we see that expressed in the seventh commandment that we celebrate the goodness of marriage and love and that that is the responsibility of all of us. But it also teaches us something. The seventh commandment tells us something about freedom and sin. And this is not only in this commandment, but it applies to all of them. That when we take God's word seriously about how to live and embrace the boundaries that he has placed on things, our freedom can grow and increase. 
And the world can often present to us that what freedom really is is the opportunity for self-expression. It's the opportunity for experimentation. And so the way to find real and lasting joy is to try to discern what our feelings and desires are and express them in as many ways as we can. And that that's the way to find happiness, which is the opposite of what Scripture says. That the way to find lasting freedom is actually to embrace the constraints that God has put on human sexuality. And in doing so, we find ourselves increasingly free to live the lives that God has given us. And when we reject his wisdom, we find ourselves imprisoned all over again, much like when we give people the capacity to drive a car. It's a gift, right? It's a gift that comes with responsibility, and we usually have some way of saying, do you know how to drive this thing? Uh, when you look around and you're driving, do you know what the signs mean as you're driving? Like what the difference is between a yield versus a stop sign? Do you know what a blinking yellow means? Uh, and then there's all those experience where there's other drivers on the road. Do you know what to do if somebody in front of you starts to not do what they're supposed to do? Do you know what to do if uh, sirens come on behind you and somebody is telling you to pull over? Like we have this uh, sense that in this gift that you might receive in a driver's license, you're now gonna have a ton of freedom on the open road. But if you think freedom means drive any way you want, don't pay attention to any laws, you will soon not be driving very long. Because with that responsibility, you have something that now weighs a couple thousand pounds moving at, depending on how fast you're going, at a ridiculously fast pace. So much so that even if you say, hey, I didn't mean for that to happen, it happened. There's just the raw uh, physics involved of taking something of thousands of pounds and moving it at 60 plus miles an hour. Now we say, if you can learn how to drive and learn how to handle the rain or the snow and Learn how to respond when other people around you are breaking the boundaries that everybody thinks are wise and healthy. You can have more freedom. You can keep on driving. You can keep on discovering new places that exist out in this uh, open country when you accept the limitations this grows. And when you reject them, you find yourself uh, having less and less freedom. And so here, this, this forbidding of do not commit adultery also teaches us something about sin because the specific sin of adultery is what we would describe as adults willingly doing something. So what is in view here is not something abusive or coercive. And so when God's word is saying, even if you desire to do it and people are willing to engage in it, that's still sinful. It still breaks the purposes for which God designed sexuality to be experienced in marriage. So if that's true, then underneath that, well then absolutely if it is ever coercive, uh, if it's ever manipulative, all of those are also sinful. But the commandment is starting by saying you don't even have the freedom to choose to go against God's will. Like you might physically be able to, but none of us as human beings have the freedom to go outside of his will without the reality of that causing harm. 
and we're learning more and more uh, as people are being honest about the way in which they have been affected by other people and processing trauma and abuse that they've experienced that in our culture that has tried to reduce this to merely a physical thing, that we can't because this is physical, it is spiritual, it is emotional. And so when somebody is saying, this thing that happened to me 30 years ago still affects me every day because I was violated That's not the same as stubbing your toe. That's not the same as just having a sore arm. There is a physical reality to it, but it has just as much a relational, emotional, spiritual, and social dynamic. Which is why in violating God's principles around it, there are many consequences that flow from it. And so God in his love for us encourages us to honor him, to obey his will and his purpose for how he's designed us, that all of us are supposed to take the collective responsibility of holding up his plan and purposes. And that when we see that sin is usually promising us something better that turns out to be sour, and God's word at times can feel strict and bitter, but if we embrace it, find out, oh no, that is actually the better way to live (laughs) It, it, it opens us not only to healthier relationships uh, one-on-one, but even with a whole other source of relationships. I found this quote from Ray Ortland, who's a pastor in uh, Nashville, Tennessee. Now he's a retired pastor, but our dear friends Michael and Monica, when they moved to Nashville, uh, joined Ray's church in Nashville. Uh, but uh, he shared this in reflection on the seventh commandment. The seventh commandment within us In other words, if we're committed to this from the inside out, married or single, the seventh commandment within us creates a social environment around us where no one in our presence has anything to fear. The seventh commandment within us creates a social environment around us where anyone in our presence has nothing to fear. Everyone can relax open up to Jesus and grow and rejoice and flourish without distraction or pressure or weirdness. And that you experience that on a regular basis. How free do you feel like you can be with people, whether it's at work, whether it's in your neighborhood, if you believe they are not a person who takes seriously God's word about how all of us are supposed to surrender our sexuality to Christ? if you view them as somebody who does not value that and does not care for that and you sense that they might be pursuing you or they're pursuing all kinds of things, it will cause you to be incredibly cautious and protected around them, and rightly so. But the more you can look at other people and say, I think you believe what I believe. I think you're surrendered to Christ and believe that holiness is the path to freedom. Oh my goodness. You can have so many more friends. People don't avoid you. They aren't afraid to talk to you. You can have a lunch with somebody who's different than you and not have 20 people being like, well, what's that about? It's just lunch. It's just another human being made in God's image. We're learning about each other, and we have this project together that we're trying to accomplish. And so many more beautiful things that God intends for us to experience can happen when we embrace the constraints that God has given us. And we also have a profound reality in the New Testament where the seventh commandment literally just gets thrown in Jesus' face in John chapter 8. And so this is where we'll conclude the sermon today. 
Uh, so turn with me to John chapter 8. With all of that appropriate warning and caution that we are to take it seriously, uh, Scripture also reminds all of us that we're all sinners. And so uh, we have all broken all of the commandments in our human hearts. So where we didn't go was to Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus says, you've been told not to commit adultery, but I say, if you lust in your own heart, you've already committed it. And so just like last week with murder, with adultery, Christ actually intensifies and expands our understanding to include a whole lot more sin than we might think, so that all of us come to this with an awareness that we ourselves are sinners. Uh, This past week, um, I learned, I was reading a news article, and I learned that uh, a football player that I used to like when I was a kid is now a pastor, and Levi really likes football, so I was like, Levi, I read a story today, it was interesting. Uh, somebody who I used to like when I was your age loved to watch in football's name was Randall Cunningham he was like the Lamar Jackson of like when I was a kid like he could throw but he could run and he was on the Eagles he was a really good player and I just learned this week that he's actually a pastor in a church in Las Vegas and Levi says there's churches in Las Vegas (laughs) and I said wait a yes there's churches in las vegas why do you think there wouldn't be churches what do you know about las vegas um but one day uh, so you must know something but one day uh yeah he'll get old enough to review, uh, to learn one we need churches everywhere <laughs> and where the greater struggle is all the more we need them but there is that point where you also realize that las vegas sodom and gomorrah the tower of babel all of those reside in our human hearts and so Akron, Ohio is just as dangerous of a place to live as anywhere else because we're here. And so all of us need to also see in our Savior, what would Christ do if somebody guilty of breaking this commandment was just thrown at his feet and the people around him were just ready to get rid of her? This is what Jesus would do. Uh, John chapter 8. It begins with the last half of the last verse of 7. They went each to his own house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? And this they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. And Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Could you imagine having been there? Could you have imagined seeing the older ones leave first? People you might have looked up to as your mentors, thought they had it all together, and they leave first. What a powerful scene. 
And Jesus, who exemplified the law better than anybody, obeyed it in full, somehow also approachable and accessible to anyone, however great their sin, could absolutely hold together the truth of how serious sin is and all of its consequences and also the grace to extend forgiveness and renewed freedom to those who are open to it. To say to this woman, I don't condemn you and go and sin no more. We need to hear both of those. The good news of not being condemned and the good news that he loves us enough to say to us, don't keep doing it. Don't keep walking into slavery. Don't keep choosing to give in to the temptation that says maybe it'll be better if this or that, and ultimately it's not. And trust me that in the paths that I lead you down are the paths to life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the conviction that it brings to our own hearts as well as the hope and the joy that it offers us through your Son. And we thank you that he, as someone who never married, could teach us all the most and the best about what real love is, about what steadfast faithfulness is, what eager restitution looks like. Father, we pray that you would help us to be uh, both convicted and encouraged as we admit that the devil oftentimes wants to get us to minimize or trivialize our sin and we want to see it in all of its ugliness. Uh, We want to have your perspective on it. But Father, we also need hope and uh, we need to be restored to the joy of our salvation just like David did so that we would no longer walk in rebellion so would you in reminding us just how good and gracious and loving you are restore to us the joy of our living hope in Jesus name we pray amen